it's all important. I love that. It's all important. Uh, I've, I've had Bible scriptures where I've just underlined everything. Anybody relate where you just found it's so, so good? Well, if you have a Bible, speaking of which, uh, you can turn to that. Our, we have Bibles, so put up your hand if you'd like one to borrow for the service. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalms 42 and 43, so we got hands over here. I see those hands. Uh, we'll get those Bibles to you. And uh, another one over here at the front, too. Keep your hands high if you like one. I can see you yeah, asking for that. Um, this, these, we're looking at two psalms today, Psalm 42 and 43, because scholars tell us that these were written as two unified psalms. They were actually a unified psalm. There's a break there that probably shouldn't be there. Uh, and so a uh, great one to read together, and uh, we'll do that. So if you turn to Psalm 42, we'll begin there, and uh, let's read it together. If you're able, would you, you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you, O Lord, with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Lord, we invite you now, even as you have spoken through your words, speak to us in this time. In your name we pray, amen. Please have a seat. Let me ask you. Have you ever been 
thirsty. I mean, really, really thirsty. You know, you've been out on a run or an exercise routine or something, and, and you go, I'm not going to make it. I need a, a drink. I need water. Um, I'm dying for a drink. I've told you many of, many of you this story, but how earlier this year, uh, my family, my, my boys were on, on spring break in Italy, and uh, the boys and I went for a hike up a mountain uh, one day. We were wanting to get up on the Amalfi Coast, the path of the gods, and uh, I shared on Easter, I think, the, the, the odyssey that we had to get up this mountain, but we finally got up and we walked for, for about 10 kilometers to the end of the trail, and as we're getting towards the end, we're getting thirsty. We had run out of water, and on top of that, um, we were just beginning to fantasize about cold drinks. If you could have anything, what would you have? What would be refreshing right now? And we're kind of going over this with each other and saying, oh, I would love to have a, you know, fill in the blank. And uh, it was really cool. We reached the end of the path and we began walking down the downward trail, down the steps. And, and uh, the hundred foot step down, what should be there? Some enterprising Italian had opened up a lemonade stand right there. And we've never been so happy to drink lemonade together in our lives. It was awesome. Um, cold drinks are actually a luxury, but quenching our physical thirst is a necessity. You, you can't go without liquid for very long in our lives. Think about it. Um, when you were born, pretty much a drink was the first thing you wanted when you came out of your mama's tummy, right? We, we don't come out of our mama's tummy full. We come out empty. We come out thirsty. We want a drink. And, and this poet, this psalm, describes in, I think, a very profound way this, this thirst that we have for God. Uh, at the beginning, the poet describes or compares his thirst to that of a deer panting for water. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, you had a pet that was thirsty, a cat that was panting or a dog that was panting. There's this desperation from a dr for a drink. Like how some of our, our communities in the interior of British Columbia are, are right de desperate now for what? For rain, right? They're desperate for rain. This deer panting, it's this in intense longing for God. I like how the message version puts this. It says, I want to drink God, deep drafts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder... Will I ever make it? Uh, arrive and drink in God's presence. At, at the core of this poet's soul, at, at what you might call his, his deepest, maybe truest self, this psalmist thirsts for God alive. And, and I would say that uh, our thirsts may not be quite as ravenous as the poet's here, but they're just as real. Some of you have seen the, the, the classic film. How many have seen Bruce Almighty? Classic Jim Carrey flick, right? Um, it, it's, uh, Jim Carrey plays a, a news, TV news anchorman who uh, is, is down on his luck. He's angry at the world. He's angry at God. And, 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 and in the early parts of the movie, he's complaining constantly at how God has let him down. And, and finally, God shows up in his life in a very dramatic way. And, and God had been trying to get his attention for a while. Finally, God shows up, and of course, who does God play? play Morgan Freeman plays God. I mean, who else could play God, right? Um, and what happens is God says, he basically says to, to, to Jim Carrey, to Bruce Nolan, if you're not happy with how I'm running things, well, you take over. 
And, and Bruce gets the job. <laughs> Suddenly he's hearing all of the prayers that are being prayed across the, the, the planet and all this stuff's going on. But something else kind of unusual happens in this movie. And, and what it is is that uh, when God is trying to get Bruce's attention earlier, he's doing it through his pager. Some of you don't know what a pager is, but he's trying to get it. He, he's sending, and the number that comes through when God's trying to get his attention, normally when they, they film TV and movies, it's a fictitious number. It's a 555 number. For whatever reason, this was a real number in some area codes. And so all over America, as people watched this film, they began calling the number. And they were getting real people. <laughs> there were answering services that were unwittingly answering services for God. And it was fascinating the kind of things that, that, that people heard. Listen to this. One woman told the answering machine at a Colorado radio station, I'm in jail right now. Like I said to you last night, I love you. And she promised on that phone call to, to go straight, and she prayed to be able to return to her husband and children. Another caller said, hey, God, I've done some really bad things in my life, and I need to repent. Please answer my prayers. Someone else left this message. I know this isn't the number for God, but I'm calling to see if you have the other number. <laughs> Smart person. <laughs> in San Diego, callers who used the, the, the movie number, they got a hold of a, an executive at a business uh, named Kathy Romano. And uh, at first, Kathy was incredibly displeased with getting up to like 40 or 50 calls a day from people wanting to talk to God. Finally, she began to play along. And so she would then answer her cell phone, hello, this is God, to which one caller replied, I can't believe it. It's God. And it's a woman. <laughs> you, you, you can hear the thirst for connection with God in those phone calls. It may, maybe they were in desperate moments. We don't know their circumstances. And, and, and I want to say this. I, I hear the thirst in people I meet all the time. I, I hear it and see it in you, and, and we, we're thirsty, if we're honest. C.S. Lewis, he writes how we're, we're made for this uh, a connection with the living God. He says, a car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits we're designed to feed on. There is no other. He says that's why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. This is the key. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. What Lewis is saying and what all Scripture is is confirming is that we truly won't satisfy the thirsts we have, those deepest thirsts we have, without God. Deep calls to deep, verse 7 says, that the depths of our spirit calling or longing for the depths of God. Deep calls to deep, but, but I don't know about you, but I often prefer shallow. Because deep can be scary. Uh, Lincoln last week talked about the fear of the Lord, and, and I think this, this verse kind of captures it a little bit, but, but the fear of, uh, of the Lord is, 
I've always thought of it as a sense of awe of God. But actually, it's, it's more than awe. Because de- connecting our deepest selves with, with the God of the universe, I think, is a little bit like swimming in a backyard pool or swimming in the ocean. Think backyard pool for a second here. We're talking chlorinated water. All disease has been taken away, right? It, it, it doesn't even matter if your kid peed there. It, it's been inoculated. It's, it's been knocked out. Uh, there's usually a fence around the backyard pool. There's a shallow end. There's no waves, no, no, no real danger. And yet the ocean, nothing about the ocean feels safe. It's immense, it's unpredictable, it's frightening, it's powerful, it's beautiful. Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Deep calls to deep is a place where answers don't come easily or quickly. It's a place of mystery. It's a place where pain gets exposed rather than than covered over. It's a place where healing requires change. I I think that the reason why I gravitate towards sugar and fluff and why my kids do and why our culture does is that we want to avoid, avoid the dangerous truth that God is God and we are not. That is the fear of the Lord. It's beginning to recognize that God is actually God. He's in charge. He's over all. But whether it's food or Facebook or Pinterest or television, I would suggest we've constructed countless ways to avoid, to, to avoid looking at the mess and brokenness within our souls. We live in a world where it's just so easy to avoid the hard questions, to ignore our selfishness, to fill our days with with busy and meaningless activity. Deep calls to deep, but I sometimes long to stay shallow. And so we do all kinds of things to to take the edge off our spiritual hunger, but as Lewis said, they can never truly quench our thirst. And so the psalmist wisely asks in verse 2, when can I go and meet with God? And that's our question this morning. How can we do this? How can we drink deeply of God? How can we actually quench this thirst that no matter how, how hard we try to avoid it, it will never go away on its own? So I want to think this morning of five ways that we can drink deeply of God. The first is this, find God in the physical. Verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now, Mount, Mizar, uh, Mount Hermon, I should say, is the tallest mountain in Israel. Mount Mizar, nobody knows where it is. The, the scholars suspect it's just like a mosquito bump on the landscape and somehow earned the name mountain, but it's, it's there. But really, from the, groundest, the grandest mountain to the, the lowliest blade of grass, all creation points to the fingerprint of, of God. So part of... Part of drinking deep of God is simply going outside, looking and seeing and and listening. Uh, Interesting, um, researchers at Britain's Essex University did a study on the effects of nature upon people who struggle with depression. And and 71% of those who were studied said that 30 minutes just walking each day actually gave them such an incredible sense of, of mental health 
And then those who, who took part in conservation projects or they, they kind of went to the next level and they went cycling or, or hiking, 94% gave feedback at how these activities brought about greater mental health. They actually call it something that's become quite trendy, ecotherapy. I, I'm reminded of uh, that great scene at the end of Lord of the Rings where Samwise Gamgee and Frodo are in Mordor and it's all dark and it's hopeless and they're lost and uh, you wonder if they're going to make it. And Sam uh, tries to encourage Frodo, but Sam himself takes comfort as he says, Mr. Frodo, do you remember the Shire? Do you remember home? Do you remember the, the, the trees and the beauty? Do you remember the green? Do you remember? Somehow, we're called to care, care for our soul is going to involve spending time outdoors, spending time in God's creation. I, I like what a Russian philosopher once said, all beauty in the world is either a memory of paradise or a prophecy of the transfigured world. Um, I've got to say, just 20 years ago, I don't think I would have had to preach this point. People just went outside. People did this. Uh, we... <laughs> My, uh, my kids have been, uh, my one son still is, in, in his high school program, he's in what they call digital immersion. You know, we had to buy them uh, tablets before they entered grade nine. They, they had to have these. I'd say digital immersion is what we could describe all of our lives. This is the world we live in now. We live in a digitally immersed world. We're, I'd say we're drowning in it, right? Parents report that... that School children during the week spend five hours a day behind a screen. And I know for many it's much more, more than that. Much, much more than that. Um, one author described many modern workplaces as being digital sweatshops. How many of you could say, I, I think I live in a digital, I work at a digital sweatshop? Some of you might actually feel like that a little bit. And our digital life, our, our life before technology and screen is, is a considerable distraction taking us away from essential things like mountains and streams and beauty. And so going outside, experiencing God in the physical more than ever probably in, in human history is going to have to be for us an intentional choice. You're going to have to be really deliberate about this because there's going to be so much pulling you before that that screen, your phone, whatever it might be. Book I'm reading right now, it's uh, by Andy Crouch. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's called The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. And especially if you've got kids, this is just kind of the kind of thing you want to be thinking about. But I'd say for, for couples, I think for individuals, you want to be asking the question, how am I going to engage with technology in my life? What, how much impact am I going to let it have? And so I want you to be thinking about that. It's so important. Find space in your life to drink deep of God's creation. Secondly, experience God in the pressures of life. Uh, this psalm is kind of difficult to nail down in terms of type. Uh, part of it is lament, you know, an expression of grief. Part of it is complaint. You know, God, why have you rejected me? Um, but part of it is this great expression of trust in God. All of life, I think, seems to be gathered up here in this psalm. All of life's pressures. And the poet kind of lays these out before God. It, pressures of weariness and sadness. The psalmist asks himself the question three times. 
Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? By, by the way, what a discerning question he asks of himself. Why am I upset? Why am I sad? What's going on down there? I think that's just such, such wisdom that he actually is asking himself such an, an emotionally relevant question. And then there's other pressures, pressures of pestering people, those who, who question or harass. Verse 2, where is your God? Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes do what? Taunt me. Pressures of what I don't have or what I used to be. You, you, you kind of hear it in the tone of the words in verse 4. I used to lead in the temple worship. I used to do that. I, I used to be that. The pressures of, of loss and trouble. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. This guy's on a diet of tears. I, I think some of you could relate to that at seasons in your life where your food has been tears. Verse 7, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. The picture here is really being overwhelmed by, by trials, by, by tough times. I, th I think of my son who years ago got his foot caught in our garage door. We have that, one of those metal garage doors and, and it's spring-loaded and he got his foot slammed in between, had to get stitches and so on. It was incredibly painful and bloody. And, and he's, he, his comment was, and I'll never forget it, he's like, why does this always happen to me? Because you're clumsy. No, I didn't answer that way. I did not say that. Did not. But maybe some of you have asked that question. Why, oh God, does this seem, why does my life seem to be a vortex of calamity? You know, I'm, I'm kind of the Bermuda Triangle of my friends. But I wonder if one of the ways this psalm serves us is it bursts one of our illusions. That, that the spiritual life, a life with God, a life where we're seeking spiritual nourishment is, is going to happen in, in peace and quiet and solitude. But this poet's kind of pouring out his soul, pursuing God in the midst of all kinds of troubles. They suspect that this, this, this psalm was written when, when Israel was in exile, when they'd been thrust out of their promised land and, and, and the holy city, and they were living as strangers and foreigners in another land as exiles. But isn't it true? When do we most often meet God? When do we most often go through these kind of growth spurts spiritually? It's not usually in paradise. It's not usually when we're in the garden. It's usually when we're in the wilderness. Now think of the, the, the people of Israel, where they grew the most was, and, and where they were shaped spiritually the most was when they were spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That's when they came to know who God was. Uh, so many of these psalms, so many of all the psalms, by the way, are psalms about trouble. Like, it's a consistent theme. They're psalm after psalm. Because trouble, I, I think, reminds us to pray. Trouble <laughs> reminds us of our limits and our extremities, and we seek God in those places. I, I would say that the greatest threat to our spiritual life is not trouble, it's comfort. This week, uh, I think I've had at least a dozen conversations with a dozen different Christians who've told me about something difficult they've gone through recently and how that brought them back to God. How God used that difficulty, that wilderness season in their lives to draw them back to God. 
And, and I've never prayed that, but, but I think uh, many of us are, are, if you're like me, you pray the prayer, God, take my trouble away. I wonder if a better prayer would be, God, take my immaturity away. God, use this trouble to draw me closer to you. And I don't want to minimize it. You know, when you're, when you're in trouble, there's nothing nice about trouble. It's, it's awful. It's horrible. But those are the seasons that draw us to God as we pour out our souls to him. So I think one of the most potent faith-filled verses in this psalm is, is the word yet. Even though all this stuff is going on, yet... I will praise him. Three times that's there. When you respond to God in in your trials, you can experience him in new ways, even there. Third, tip for drinking deep, talk to him without filtering. Uh, A friend of mine says, abandon the shoulds, the oughts, and the boxes. Listen to the opening lines of verse 43, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? I, I think the poet is just refreshingly honest, and I think he's onto something here. Think of any intimate relationship you've ever been in. Usually what what causes it to grow is is you get to the place where you let your guard down and you lose the filters. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how we we are called to be honest with God as he is here. You are my God. Why have you rejected me? Um, I got to say I really struggled with this when I was first a Christian, when I was a new believer. Um, I thought my Christian faith meant that I was to, you know, sort of depress emotions of sadness or anger or hurt, all those kind of things. And yet, when I was about 20 years old, I couldn't do it anymore. For a couple years, I'd been pressing down those things, and at 20, something happened that snapped me out of that, and what it was was depression. I was attending a Christian college in England, the the college my son just got back to from this this spring, and... uh, I, my, my experience at that, at that college was I couldn't stuff it down anymore. I found myself you know, weeping <laughs> uncontrollably. I, I had to go for walks by myself just so I could get away from people. I was so sad. And uh, I remember finally desperately going to my professor and asking for help. And uh, his counsel to me was, Derwin, stop faking it. Stop pretending everything's okay. Tell God how it really is. Be real with God. And I began doing that. I began, over the the, the following weeks, I began going for, as I've I've shared with many of you many times before, I'd go for these night walks by myself where I found myself falling down on the pavement, crying out to God, God, where are you? I don't see you. You're not here. Where are you, God? And I said things to God that I, I, I'd never said before. And yet, amazingly enough, as I was real with God, God became real to me. It opened me up to an, I would say, not a pretend relationship with anymore, but an actual relationship with the living God. And so I'd encourage for some of you, a breakthrough will come in your walk with God as you learn to Speak your mind as you learn to pray your hurt and your hate and your anger and your frustration. Um, 
We're going to actually give you some practice at this in just a few minutes. I'm going to suggest one of the ways you can do this. The psalmist here says, these things remember as I pour out my soul. I think pouring out your soul is actually a really good thing. Some of you have never poured out your soul before God. How do we do this? I'm going to encourage us to write a psalm. Giving you kind of a guide, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But, but where you can pour out your soul to God and, and lay before him the good and the bad and the downright ugly. As uh, my mama used to say, better out than in, she said. Actually, I don't think she said that, but I wish she had. Uh, number four, remember, recall what you know of him. Verse four continues. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise with a festive song. Throng, I should say. The psalmist here is recalling his past. The, the Hebrew puts it, I will remember. And it's a strong determination. He's determined to remember how God has helped him in the past. And I think that's one of the greatest things to do when you are in the dumps. Think back to what God has done for you and remember. Um, in early May of this year, I, uh, I was stressed out. I, I would say I could relate to this psalmist. I was weary in my soul. And uh, so much so that my wife finally said, get out. She kicked me out. Actually, she sent me to a prayer retreat center for three days. And uh, on my way to the retreat center, I stopped at a dollar store. And I, I picked up uh, a number of these journals. And I arrived at that, uh, that prayer, prayer center. And over the next two days, I did nothing but pour out my soul before God. I wrote and described every aspect of my pain and my frustration and my stress, everything I was afraid about, <laughs> every hurt got written down in this book. No one gets to look at this, by the way. Because some of you were in there. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. It's terrible. That is a terrible thing for a pastor to say, and I will be rebuked for it later, largely by my wife. Um, you know what's interesting? I did that for two days. I wrote down every problem in my life, and by day three, I felt like I was kind of done that. And I felt God asking me to do another thing, and it was to remember. And, and he asked me to write down moments in my life where he had broken into my experience. And I began documenting things. And I, and I actually went over, I, I remembered when I was 17 years old, how at a, a Christian camp, I, I met Jesus. And Jesus went from being a theoretical idea to me to becoming a reality over the course of one evening. And I, I felt free to, to follow God. I, I, I remember how... After what seemed like years of praying, uh, a very specific prayer for a wife, he gave me a wife. And what a wife he gave me. Awesome. <laughs> 25 years this, uh, this month coming up. We're, we're getting close. It's pretty awesome. Um, I, I remember how we were getting married and uh, how God very specifically led us to to pack all our belongings into our car. We, we got married, and, and two weeks later, we drove from Ontario to British Columbia and moved here to be part of a church here because we, we felt God specifically led us to, to come here. Even though people told us not to come, we, we knew God had told us to come. So I thought of how God had led us. And I, and I could look at story after story after story of God's faithfulness in my life. And I, I think for some of you, 
I, I wonder for a moment here, is there there's something in your life that God has done that you're in danger of forgetting? Is, is there a, a God story in your experience that is lying kind of dormant in the weeds? And a faith step for you would be to actually uh, pick it up and dust it off and remember and, and remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your life. Finally, uh, number five, look for his love. In the Hebrew, verse eight is the exact center of, of Psalm 42 and, and 43. By day, the Lord directs his love at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. God's assurance of his love for us is the pivot point of this prayer. Um, it's interesting, years ago at Baylor University, they did a study, sociologists did a study of people's perspectives towards God, and basically out of 71% of the people, or 78% of the people I understand, uh, they were split kind of three ways. Some believed in a God who was authoritarian and angry. Some believed in a, a God who was, was critical and judgmental. And some believed in, in a God who is distant and, and far away. And only 22% believed in a benevolent God, a kind God that was about love towards all those who turned to him. I wonder for some of us whether it's easier, easier for us to think, God's out to get me. What is he going to do to me? You know, we're not really assured of his love. I, 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 that, I would say, is a far cry from those words. By day, God directs his love. At night, his song is with me. In other words, I think we should every day wake up and be on the lookout for God's love. Uh, every day, we should be looking for, how is God loving me today? And expect it. God is love is not just a theoretical idea. It's a reality. His love for you is beyond, Scripture tells us again and again, it's beyond your comprehension. You'll never be able to measure it. You'll never be able to, to understand how vast and great is His love in every dimension of your being. And so begin looking for His love. And my prayer... It's a prayer I pray for myself that I'll learn to see his love in my life, and I'm praying it for you, that you'll be able to see how he is loving you each day and how at night his song is over you. I like this prayer I came across this week. Lord, I crawled across the bareness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come with a bucket. Deep calls to deep. God is going to keep on calling you for the rest of your days on planet Earth. <laughs> He's going to keep on inviting you into the depths of himself, into God himself, this God alive. And his longing, folks, is to, to meet you and to quench your thirst for him. Before we close, just I, I want you to grab, these have been handed out, these, uh, these questions thinking about how you pour out your soul. Let me just read these questions. I'm gonna, this is a homework assignment for you. Um, I'm going to invite the music team. Why don't you come on up while we, we do this? These are, are questions you can ask yourself that would help you in writing your own song. 
Put into words what your thirst or longing for God feels like right now. Talk to God about your struggles. Where in your life are you in trouble? How does that trouble make you feel? Is there any injustice or is there a relationship in your life which is frustrating or difficult or hurtful? Try to put your feelings toward that person or situation into words. If you're honest, and that's the best thing here, is there an area of your life where you feel disappointed in God or where you feel God has perhaps let you down? Do you have a complaint for God? Recall a time where God has met you or delivered you in some way. Give some detail to God's faithfulness in your life. Consider a place in your life where God is asking you to trust him. Fill fill in the blank. I trust that you are. Let's sing.